And it takes permission for them to allow you to help them see something in them that they may not see, whether it's dormant or it's still in seed form or whatever it might be, whatever the potential might be. I feel that, and I've experienced this, that it only comes through a relationship, building trust. Once they trust me, that now gives me permission to start speaking into areas of their life that they may have ignored for years. Hello and welcome. I'm Eric Corum, and you're listening to the Blueprint Podcast, where we explore the journey of high performance by learning from the struggles and triumphs of some of the most interesting people in the world. Mikado Henson serves as the Director of Football Player Development at Texas A&M University. Mikado wears many hats within the organization, including being a mentor, counselor, character coach, and team chaplain for the Aggies. In this episode, Mikado discusses the keys to developing transformational relationships and how the sweet science of boxing applies to receiving coaching. Mikado also gets very honest about the dangers of being everything to everybody without taking care of your personal health and the health of your family. If you're looking for information and resources to improve your health, well-being, and performance, then sign up for my free high-performance newsletter. Just go to www.ericforum.com and sign up now. This newsletter is my effort to bring zero-cost, high-performance resources and tools to anyone with the desire to improve. But now, it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Well, Mikado, it's great to have you on today. Thanks for taking out some time for us. Thanks, brother. It's great to be with you. Great to be on uh, your podcast. Well, I'm particularly excited about this because of our relationship that goes back at least a decade now. You're also at my alma mater working with Texas A&M football. So you are the director of football player development at Texas A&M. What does that mean? Well, it is means I wear a lot of hats. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really underneath the umbrella of player development, it's kind of um, become a title that's become pretty popular in the sporting world here in the last, I'd say probably 10 years or so, maybe a little bit longer. But it looks different at every place because of, leadership and how they view that position. But in my case, I come from the FCA world. And so player development for me here at A&M, really under the umbrella, I get to serve as a mentor to our student athletes, primarily football. Uh, I work as a counselor, as a character coach in helping shape, mold, and develop those areas of character in these young men's lives. And then mm-hmm. I also get to provide some uh, spiritual development as their team chaplain, which is kind of my sweet spot, kind of the world that I'm from. But it's been really fun over the last seven seasons here at A&M to personally develop in a, in a myriad of ways. And so I'm not a one-trick pony, so to speak. This position is not that. And so I'm, I'm a piece of the puzzle, but I'm really honored that uh, Coach Fisher – when he came here in 2018, saw the value in the position and kept me on because I'm here now with my second head coach, working with my second head coach. Well, that, that definitely speaks to who you are and the work that you've done. And um, I've gotten to see that a little bit up close and personal. How, how did you end up getting into player development? Yeah. Well, I tell people all the time, here, here's something that I get often. I, I get told, man, dude, you're in the SEC West. You're at A&M. Man, you've made it. 
and nothing could be further from the truth, not in location or not in vocation. I just feel like I'm still climbing up this mountain and um, that I'm just trying to be faithful where I'm called to be. And so it really uh, evolved from my years as a chaplain for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in the greater Houston area. I worked and served at Houston Baptist University for their women's basketball team as their chaplain. That was my first assignment. And, you know, you get into titles of chaplain player development. I mean, it's, if you're into titles, then you can grab hold of that. Then um, I became the chaplain at the University of Houston for their football team, still employed by FCA. I worked for four head coaches there and um, wow. was there for, for 14 seasons. So I've just finished wow. my 21st year in college football, but was there, started in 2000, was my first year. 2001 was a challenge because we hit 9-11. Our game at Georgia was canceled because of 9-11. Then our first game after 9-11 was at Army in West Point, New York. And, and we didn't win a game that year, so there was a lot of challenges in that year. It kind of tests your mettle if you can really stay positive and encourage and develop and lead when you're not winning. <laughs> so How do you do that? you got to stay true to who you are. You know, sometimes chips are up, sometimes they're down. But the constant, the consistent thing that must remain true is your personal constitution of who you are, the foundation in which you stand on, and, and things like that. And so you just got to look bigger than the sport. You got to realize we may not be winning on the scoreboard, but if lives are being changed, young men are making good decisions, and they're growing in character and integrity, then we're actually winning. And so um, you really just got to got to keep all things in perspective because at some point the lights are off forever in that stadium and you have to live in society as a productive member in the community. And, um, you know, hopefully have a family down the road, things like that. So you want guys to win learning through those life lessons and sometimes losing teaches very valuable lessons. So I got involved in player, I got involved in player development through FCA. And then I got to work in the NBA arena as a co-chaplain for the Houston Rockets for seven seasons and uh, working with those guys, and, and that was unique. <laughs> and uh, you, you're, you're walking with people who make ungodly amounts of money, and um, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's a little bit challenging in teaching them when they feel like they have everything that the world can provide. So worked with them for seven seasons, University of Houston for 14, and then in 2014, after two years of Kevin Sumlin offering me a position to join his staff at A&M, just didn't feel like it was the right time and didn't feel led to, to come here. After his first two seasons, his third year, I finally said yes and left FCA and joined the Texas A&M staff as the director of player development and have been here ever since. And to be honest, after seven seasons, feel like I'm just now getting my footing and, um, things are headed in the right direction for sure. That's awesome. Now you haven't always been a chaplain or a director of player development. I believe you started your career wanting to be in broadcasting, correct? Yeah. I, I wanted to be a world famous boxing commentator. Okay. So, yeah. So check this out. I went to school. I'm, I'm originally from Kansas city area, mm -hmm. went 1200 miles away from my doorstep to Norfolk state university, a historically black college and university. And I was not fortunate to 
play college athletics, but had a love for sports like nobody's business. So I tried out for the broadcasting team at Norfolk State. It was a student-led radio station. And so I had a four to seven radio show, jazz format with a co-host. And then I auditioned for the play-by-play and color commentator for football and basketball for the radio. And the unique story of this, which I'll never forget, is that I walk into this interview and I just came from the rec center because I thought it was to fill some things out, turn it in, and then set up a formal interview. I didn't know that was the formal interview. So there's people in there in suits and ties and dresses and things like that. And here I come in with t-shirt and shorts on and my sneakers. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of like pursuit of happiness, right? Definitely underdressed for the um, situation, but they had us come in and read or actually put on a TV, a basketball game and told us, tell us what you see, paint a picture of what people are listening to. Because on TV, you don't have to talk as much because people can see it, right? But on radio, you've got to paint the picture of what they're hearing. You got to help them see what you see. Mm. And so I remember, and I didn't know what I was doing. I have a decent voice for that and, uh, and a gift of gab. So to be honest with you, I just started talking about, you know, point guard dribbles the ball across the court from right to left on your radio dial. He passes it to the far wing. And I just started saying what I saw. And lo and behold, I made the team. <laughs> I was um, the A team, if there was an A team, I guess. I don't know. Color commentator for football and basketball. And I was B team, play by play. How about that? How about that? And so I really had a desire to become a world-famous broadcaster, uh, particularly in the arena of boxing, which is my favorite sport. Why boxing? I got to know about this. Well, yeah, it's something we could talk about. It could be part one, two, and three of a podcast. But, <laughs> well, I grew up watching, you know, the fights on ABC with my dad growing up, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvin Hagler, Thomas Hearns, Wilfred Benitez, those guys. and. And then later on, Mike Tyson, you know, all those. And I just, I've really just been infatuated with the sport because it is one sport you don't play. You play a lot of sports, but you don't play boxing. You don't ever hear anyone say that because it's a hurt sport, like for real, for real. And it is a, a sport of strategy. It is a sport where it is a team of people up until fight time. You go through a training camp of disciplining yourself, denying yourself a lot of the amenities of this world and you come up with a game plan and then you have to be willing to execute that game plan or make adjustments in fight because in between rounds you have a coach now talking to you telling you what they see so that's why they call boxing the sweet science it's a it's a game of angles hit and not be hit it is just so sweet and so i've been fortunate in my life to have connected with a lot of boxers and become friends with them, been a mentor to some. And so I've been around the world with different boxers. My really good friend, Chris Bird, was the IBF heavyweight champion of the world for four and a half years. And so I was there when he beat Evander Holyfield wow. in 2002 to win the title in Atlantic City, New Jersey. I was there. He fought a couple of times at the Garden. I was there in four years later when he lost to Vladimir Klitschko in Mannheim, Germany. You got to walk him to the ring all that stuff. I was quasi security, good friend. 
but um, had a little bit of an intimidating look. So I was also team security. They realized this is a big old teddy bear, but nonetheless. So I love boxing. I just love everything about it. Obviously, I don't, uh, I say everything. I don't love that, you know, later on in people's careers and after boxing, it does take a toll on you. I've seen guys that I love and care about that memory starts to fade, balance, things like that. So it, it's tough. It's a, it's a hurt sport, but it's a beautiful sport. And it's been going on really since the beginning of time. What do you think about MMA? I love it. I love all contact sports. So, yeah. Um, I, you know, I watched UFC once. Okay. So there were guys, it was tournament style back then. And so it was guys like Hoist Gracie. Hoist Gracie, um, baby. Yeah. Yeah. A guy named Chemo. I remember, I remember back Hoist then, was in a Shamrock. Gi. Yeah. Hoist were the <laughs> gee, man. And he was, and they didn't have regulated rules. And so really there was just no, shots to the private area and no eye gouging. Those are the only rules. And there was no time limits. There were no rounds. And it was tournament style. So you, you try to win that first fight quick because you got to fight a little bit later on. So it was like a literally bracketed. And so guys would go into the final fight already busted up. And so there, and it would be in, I don't want to offend anyone from like Lawton, Oklahoma or something like that, but it'd be in <laughs> real remote areas that wouldn't, they were unsanctioned fights. Mm-hmm. And so I watched all the UFC and my friend Valdir, who's Brazilian, that we used to go to Valdir's house and watch all the UFCs, man. So I remember UFC one. I was in the nineties. We were at Blockbuster. You could get the, yeah. so we would, we would get those. And now I do jujitsu, my wife, my whole family, we do Brazilian jujitsu. And so yeah. it's like my respect level for what I saw versus now what I know. Yeah. I mean, it is. It is a complex sport. Let me tell you, like my friend Valdir is, I want to say he's probably a brown belt. I don't know if he may have gotten his black belt in Brazil. He's from Brazil. Brazilian so Jiu-Jitsu. Don't know. Like it takes a long time. Yes. Like if you train three to five times a week, it could take you 10 years to get your yeah. black belt. This isn't a process you microwave. Yeah. And I don't want to knock the Taekwondo world. Cause I was in Taekwondo for a few years and I reached like a blue belt. And I'm like, dang, I'm a couple belts away from a black belt. I don't remember a thing. Okay. I don't remember <laughs> anything from those years, but in jujitsu and Aikido, all that stuff, a lot of the disciplines that they use in mixed martial arts. I mean, it is unbelievable how tough that is. And I'm telling you as someone who's claustrophobic, that's why I'd always want to stand on my feet. I'd always want to just throw my hands. Yeah. Cause anytime I feel like I'm getting taken down, I'm tapping like I want no parts of a rear naked choke, a guillotine. I don't want an arm bar. I don't need any of those submission moves. If I feel like we're going to the ground, we're done because I'm a claustrophobic person by nature. Uh So my brother grew up wrestling. I wrestled for one day. I said, Nope, I don't like being pinned on the ground. I don't like that feeling. Yeah. uh, But I love the, I, I love all the, now as a boxing purist, that frustrates me in MMA because a lot of these guys really can't fight a lick as far as their hands go. Now they have dirty boxing. They can, they can throw them, but just yeah. the, the skill behind it. But as far as their overall, Oh, it's unbelievable. I watch all the fights, man. I watch all boxing and all UFC MMA fights because there's mm-hmm. something that's beautiful uh, about the strategic nature of a fight. 
I don't know. It just it draws me into that world. And and I've also done ring announcing on the side. Really? So, yeah. So I've done fights in Houston and here in College Station. So you know, I I technically can't say let's get ready to rumble, but you know, you say, ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner. You know, I I do all that stuff. So wow. That uh, gets me inside the ring and really close to the action. That is so cool. I mean, you you do have a fantastic voice, by the way. And so, like, let, let's kind of pivot back. I mean, so you you started. How did you go from broadcasting to where you're at? So we, we get to yeah. this broadcasting. I'm sorry, I derailed that, but too interesting not to ask the question. No, you're good. Getting into player development through FCA, I'll just tell you the story. When I graduated college, my mom's dad, my grandfather, my grandpa Tower, had been battling Parkinson's disease for a long time. And I remember looking for a job after college, and I started feeling a tug on my heart to not pursue broadcasting because I felt like there was a, a call on my life for something even greater. And I started feeling a tug on my heart for ministry, but not necessarily pastoring a church. And I knew that I had communication skills and I knew that I was a people person. And I thought, how can I marry my love for athletics with my passion for my faith? And my grandfather, who often got to a point in his life where he'd forget a lot of things, he said, hey, don't you know someone whose brother works for FCA? And I'm like, yeah, what? Grandpa, like, are you kidding me? So I made a phone call to the national headquarters for FCA and talked to a gentleman by the name of Milt Cooper. And um, anyway, I ended up talking to Milt and I was still finishing school in Norfolk, Virginia. And I remember Milt said, well, there's two openings for FCA. One in the Tri-Cities area of Johnson City, Tennessee and Houston, Texas. Oh, I know what I'm, I'm choosing. <laughs> Sorry, go <laughs> <Right>? ahead. <laughs> yeah, so... Oftentimes, you better not say which one you're choosing, or in my experiences, God will say, all right, so we're going to send you to the other one. So yeah. <laughs> um, I had no connection to either. Mm -hmm. I, I was a newlywed, um, you know, less than a year of marriage, had a newborn baby, and just graduated college. And I'm like, I don't, and we had a Ford Explorer that had no fifth gear, it was a stick shift, Ford Explorer that had no third gear. That's that means nothing to the story, but it was it <laughs> literally broke. like we were broke, right? But, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Right. I had a Toyota Camry for a number of years that didn't go in reverse. And I lived in California. Jeez. And so I would I would park, I call it strategic parking. I'd either park on a hill so I could roll just roll backwards, or I parked way out in the parking lot so I could just go forward. The worst thing that could happen is if somebody parked in front of me, I had to push my car back. Sorry, I know what you're saying. You're hey, freaking I'm broke. I'm telling you, it's, <laughs> it's easier to drive it out of third gear than it is with no reverse. I guarantee you that. <laughs> that was dangerous. <laughs> but but we had a, a nine-month-old baby. Didn't know, you know, what was next, but started feeling on a, a tug on my heart not to pursue broadcasting, but to pursue um, how do I marry my faith and my love for athletics and FCA opened up. And we started in 1998. I started in inner city Houston, middle schools and high schools, starting FCA huddle groups. Some of your listeners may be familiar with FCA and how that system works. So I worked for FCA. I remember they said, we would like to offer you $22,000 to start working inner city FCA. And my response was, 
I was hoping you'd say 24. They said <laughs> yes so fast. I guarantee you I could have said 34 and they would have said yes. But so I started working for a nonprofit organization, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, in November of 1998. Never pursued a degree or a career in broadcasting, but I communicate every single day, whether mm-hmm. it's one-on-one or in small groups or large groups or opportunities like this. So I find myself leaning on a lot of things that I learned in my broadcasting, not profession, but in my training. They always say you fall back to your training. Well, I find myself leaning on that a lot when I'm doing interviews or speaking to groups or speaking one-on-one to someone. I made a note while you were talking earlier, and I noted that you help people see what they can't see. Meaning like when you were a broadcaster and you said like you can see the game, but people on the radio can't like you were articulating something to them. You were helping them see something they couldn't see. And so it seems to me as if like your training as a broadcaster has allowed you to help lead people to a place or see something that currently can't see. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. I think there's a little difference in that what I am trying to help people see within themselves now Mm -hmm. in player development is that they have to be willing to want to see it. Okay. Can you let's lean into that? Yeah. So it, 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 I would say that it takes a little, it takes permission, (laughs) you know, for someone to want to see, to help for you, for them to allow you to help them see something in them that they may not see, whether it's dormant, or it's still in seed form, or whatever it might be, whatever the potential might be, that they, I feel that, and I've experienced this, that it only comes through a relationship, building trust. Once they trust me, and I won't say, once they trust Mikado as third person, we're not doing that. But once they trust me, that now gives me permission to start speaking into areas of their life that they may have ignored for years whether it be any past hurts, right? Those are the things that sometimes we'll, we'll cover up and hide and put in the corner. They're still there. We just cover them up with a lot of masks and a lot of things, right? Or whether it be potential. Man, I never knew that I had that gift or I had that talent. But sometimes it takes someone else from a different perspective. It's the boxing trainer watching the fighter fight and saying, hey, You've got to go to the body. When the, in, the, in the fight, the fighter can't see that, but the trainer from a different angle can see that. Just trust us. You've got to start going to the body. Well, sometimes it takes someone on the outside to be able to speak into your life, into your world, that you say, man, I never even saw that in myself. But sometimes it takes others. That's why two are always better than one. It always helps for someone once they get to know you, once trust is established, this isn't a one-size-fits-all thing. This isn't a cookie cutter. That's why in player development, you have to be willing to invest time, delayed rewards, because you have to almost like till the soil, plant the seed, water the seed, prune, things like that, so that more growth can happen. It takes time. And so um, that's why I love when incoming freshmen come in and I meet with them one-on-one, and then we now get to start doing life together. Because there's a good chance for the next four or five years that we're going to get to walk together in relationship. And hopefully, hopefully, we all can grow from the relationship. 
That is so powerful. And, you know, you, you already answered my next question, but it sounds like time is the, is the currency, you know, and, and, and that means that you have to be available. I'm just curious, how do you balance availability for the team and the players and availability for your family and yourself? That has been a challenge. And so I'm just going to go ahead and be very transparent in that. That has been a challenge. And I'm going to tell you what has suffered the most from not learning to live in balance is myself, my Mm -hmm. own personal health, my own personal well-being. And I have an amazing bride and I have three amazing children. I say children, 23, 20, and 17. Okay. But I have an amazing family that has been there through everything. One of my biggest strengths, Eric, is that I care. And I carry the burden of others, and it will sometimes spill over into my personal life with my family, mm-hmm. meaning they're not getting all of me, right? And so sometimes I'll be at home, and I'm physically there, but I'm not present because I'm still processing, and it's still it's that app on my phone, my life isn't closed out. Right. And so it's still in the undercurrent still working. So I could be present, but I'm not there. And so those are areas of my life that I've had to get counsel and people that I love and trust and mentors to speak truth to me, to tell me you need to learn to turn it off because here's what happens. I'm no medical expert, but I can speak in my own experiences. Some years ago, I was running and gunning. Just, I was all things to all men. I was always available. My phone was never off. I was, my door was always open. You could come in and interrupt me no matter what I was doing. If you had a situation and needed to talk, and I was always there. And what I didn't know was happening. I didn't know that I was running myself bone dry. I went and got blood work done all those things. And I said, doc, my memory's fuzzy. My, just my desire to work out, like all these things are just suffering. I'll be in the middle of a conversation and say, what were we talking about? And so my, all my adrenals and everything, man, it was just, it was, I was throwing upside down topsy turvy, right? I was, I was fighting a fight that I wasn't going to win. So I asked the doctor, I said, doc, if I don't get a hold of this now, and I need you to help me and give me some practical ways to help balance things medically and also just in my own daily life. Doc, what's going to happen to me? And I remember like it was yesterday. He said, clinical depression. One day, Mikado, you're going to wake up and you're going to say, all right, let's get it rolling. And your body's going to say, nope. No, 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 no. Get up. Let's go. Your body's going to say no. Because you have depleted every single thing in your life that is supposed to keep you going because you have been so many things to so many people that you have not taken care of yourself. You have been so many things to so many people that you have not invested and spent time and balanced with your family. So when I say that that is something that I've struggled with, I really struggled in the past with that. I I'll do checkups now with my wife and say, Hey, how am I doing? Like, are we good? (laughs) Because I don't want to be the same thing, bro. Let me tell you, I don't want to be a hero to all these young men that I serve. And then my own family looks at me as a zero. 
I don't want to be known as a champion of people outside my house. And then I come home and then they don't even know who I am. Is that winning? Is that success? I just, okay. I, a lot of the way I live my life is through a book called the Bible. Okay. And King David was one of the greatest Kings ever. And when it came to the end of David's life, he was lonely and he was alone. Kids, no one was there by his bedside and still known as a man after God's own heart. So you ask yourself, okay, David was a great king. He was a great warrior, but was David a great dad? Now he had multiple wives. Was he a great husband? I don't know. I don't know. But there are so many examples in the scriptures where I can say, yes, I want to be like so-and-so. Now, there's a lot of characteristics of David that I want to be like. But then there are some people that you say, okay, they have, they've taught me a lesson of how not to be. Okay? And so Spencer Tillman told me this a long time ago. Spencer Tillman's a broadcaster and former NFL player, authored a book or two or something like that. He's brilliant. And I remember him telling me one time, and he's heard a lot of the things I was doing when I was in Houston. And all he said was, Mikado, slow down. It's hard to run with a full cup. And I'm like, um, Spencer, do you just want to go ahead and punch me in the face right now? I mean, <laughs> that, that advice, he probably doesn't remember the conversation. And here we are on your podcast, Eric, 15 years later. And I remember exactly what Spencer told me. Mm. Hard to run with a full cup. And there were times that I was running really hard with a full cup. And when you stop running, you look and see what's in the cup. How much have you spilled? Everything. How, how ineffective have you really been? What's the old military slow is smooth and smooth is fast. There was nothing that I was doing was slow and nothing I was doing was smooth. And I was draining myself. But I'm thankful to say that I've gotten a hold of all of it, that I, I do now have little times where I'll close the door and just catch my breath, get my bearings together, turn my phone on silent, and I'll look and my wife will be calling me 12 times. Why are you answering my call? My phone was on silent. My bad. So there are just little techniques. I don't want to say anything's been earth shattering, but there's been little techniques that have helped me along with, you know, working out and and just being more present at home and stuff like that, that has helped me. It's still a challenge because there's always, there's always fires to put out. Wow. You dropped some amazing knowledge bombs there. You know, I left coaching this past year and it was something that I always was sitting in the back of my mind for a while. And you just articulated it in a different way that I didn't want to be the coach with a lot of rings and no, and just literally nobody there when I died. Yeah. Or my legacy to be on the field and not with my kids. Right. And even though I'm now working upstairs in my house, the same struggle still exists. Because you can right. be close in proximity, but not close in relationship. And life moves at the speed of relationships. Mm. You reduce it all down, you reduce life down to its purest form you will find significance in the relationships you have. You will find not, not identity, but you will find the community. You will find life moves at the speed of relationships. You put someone alone, next thing you know, you're talking to a volleyball like Tom Hanks and Castaway. 
<laughs> we're built for relationship. We're built for community. And when we isolate ourselves, then we start to listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. And we start listening to that little voice in our head. And it sometimes takes us down some very, very dark and lonely roads. That's why we need each other. A question. You're in athletics. And so there's, even with the quote bubble environments you guys try to create this year, so your athletes could stay healthy, which was phenomenal from what I saw on the outside as far as COVID cases at A&M. What are some suggestions you might have for people in times where we are having to intentionally create distance? How would you be intentional about staying in a relationship? Yeah, obviously there are great technologies like Zoom where you can, and your phone where you can talk to people. Obviously you can't physically touch or be in proximity. And that's a challenge. That's a struggle. You know, churches aren't meeting for the most part. Some are. But a lot of things that we used to do, a lot of the social gatherings that we used to have that would allow us to unplug and unwind and laugh and grow together and all those things, they're honestly, they're, they've been taken away from, from us because of a pandemic. And I get it. I understand. But I would say the biggest thing for me is, is I've gotten to really re-engage with my family more some of the more simple things of life. And then also my circle is pretty small. When you're out there shaking hands and kissing babies and stuff, your circle gets quote unquote a little bit bigger because you can be in big social settings. Well, you can't do that now. And so valuing going deeper in relationship with people, it may be fewer people, but you're going deeper. And so that is something that has continued to give me uh, substance and sustenance has kept me is that there are a handful of people, not boatloads of people. There's just a handful of people now that I really communicate on a deeper level with. Mm. And that has really helped me. Also, I have enjoyed, I have learned to enjoy. I'm what you call, there's probably a term for it. I don't know what it is. Doc, you might know. I am what you call an extroverted introvert. You put me on a stage speaking to a thousand people, I'm great. You put me in a room speaking to three people, I'm great. But you put me in the middle of a thousand people, I struggle. I have real challenges with that. I always try to find the corner and just post up and just chill, just hang out. Like, I don't like being in the middle of groups. So what I have really, during this whole time of bubble living, so to speak, is I have enjoyed being by myself. Mm. Not to the point where I'm lonely but I've, I'm okay with being alone through different things. I don't ever consider myself to be a lonely person, but I do appreciate the quietness and the stillness of things. It kind of helps settle my mind. I read a book called Celebration of Discipline, and this kind of takes us a little off target, but Celebration of Discipline a long time ago by a guy named Richard Foster. And I remember he said in the book, your enemy majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. And if you can get you in a noisy place or get you in a hurry or, or a crowded situation, then oftentimes you become less effective than what you're meant to be. You don't think it's clear. You're not as sharp, things like that. And so I have appreciated not feeling the sense of hurry or the noisy situations or the crowded situations. So if there have been any benefits that have come out from more of a quarantined 
type living, it has been, I've gotten to know more about myself. And I have found that out from being in some situations alone, but not lonely. If that makes sense. I love that. That is, man, I have got so much to look at right now. I've got so many things I've taken notes on right now, but I definitely want to read this celebration of discipline because that, that is so true. I think in, you know, you, you start doing things you don't want to do. And by the way, I have a, a, a non-technical term for what you articulated. It's closet introvert. There it is. Yeah, a lot of people, I know that I'm kind of like that in some ways too. I love people. Like I, like I need to be around a team. Right. But I crave solitude. Yes. That's one of the friend. disciplines. One of the disciplines yeah. that Richard Foster talks about is the, soli- the discipline of solitude. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, it's great. I have a, a buddy of mine, known him since high school, and he literally once a year goes off for a week to be with monks in New Mexico. Oh wow! And like he, he and, and he like, and then once a month he has a desert day, where he just literally goes. Like when he was in Miami, he would just go out where there's nobody, or wherever he is, he just goes out completely by himself. And uh, he comes back refreshed. But I mean, I don't know if I would do the monks thing, but for me, it would be going backpacking Hmm. or just to go out in the woods and just reconnect and be still. And it's so hard to do that now because of all the noise, noise of social media, noise of life, noise of the city, noise of driving. It just never kind of ends. And personally, I don't think we were designed to, to live in that all the time. Um, and so we have to be intentional about getting quiet with ourselves and these new practices like mindfulness, which have been, people have been meditating for years, meditating on nothing, meditating on scriptures, whatever. They give you some, help you harness your attention. I'm telling you, it really does. It's some of this noise that we hear, like you mentioned, it's not audible noise. It's a noise of the soul our mind, our will, our emotions, our soul. It gets so cluttered with so much junk. And I'm guilty of that. And I don't know if I have the courage to go live with monks and unplug completely like that. I I really don't know that I have the courage to do that. But I think there would be a detoxing of my mind, my will, and my emotions if I did something like that. Mm. And so for people to go out for a day, just for a little retreat, backpacking, whatever it might be, I don't know. I kind of want to challenge myself to do something, maybe start on a small scale and then to see what that looks like. Because my dream, now we're thinking big picture, my dream is I want to retire in Montana. All right. I, I love the mountains uh-huh. and it's underpopulated because in a position where I have, I deal with people every day. I'm yearning for the day <laughs> when I can go stand at the base of a mountain or next to a stream, the Gallatin River in uh, Bozeman, Montana, and just be. Not have to do, but just be. And I think that that's one thing that we lose in life is we, we're human beings, not human doings. And so much time we get caught, our significance is in what we do and not in who we are. And so sometimes I need to learn, okay? I can't speak for the audience. I can't speak for you, Eric. But I need to learn to be. And sometimes that is 
filling myself and enjoying God's creation, being with my bride and uh, riding off into the sunset together, you know, but right now I'm in the hustle and bustle of life. I mm-hmm. may not live in the big city, but my, the way I operate oftentimes is big city thing. A lot of plates spinning. You are in, you know, I, I love college station, Texas. It's near and dear to my heart, but you are in a boilerplate in a sense from, you know, the, the expectations of winning yeah. and, and, you know, and, and where you're at, which is, you know, what you sign up for, but there's a lot of pressure. And so although college stations kind of out, you know, not a metropolitan area, there's a lot of eyes and a lot of people and a lot of hands. And so I can totally understand, you know, wh- what you're experiencing. Let me and ask I love you this, that, by the way, I love that, by the way. Yeah. I love because when you get squeezed, my mentor, John Randall's always used to say this, when you get squeezed, the real you always comes out. Mm-hmm. You can say all day, I'm toothpaste, baby. I'm toothpaste. But when life squeezes you and ketchup comes out, guess what you are? Your ketchup. I like the pressure of being squeezed sometimes. I don't want to eliminate that from my life because I want to stay true to who I am in the constitution, my, my own personal constitution. So I want to, that checks me at times. So I, I don't want to escape so that I, I don't have to be that person anymore. Right. Sometimes that pressure, it's good pressure, like good trouble. You know, you hear that about um, Senator John Lewis, who passed away not too long ago, who was very instrumental in walking across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. Um, they were talking about all the times he got arrested. And he said, well, sometimes it's necessary to get in good trouble. Sometimes there's good pressure. That sometimes that pressure is not bad. You know, you, you, you lose pressure on some mechanical things at your house. Well, then you're in some real, in your car, you lose pressure, you're struggling. So some pressure is good. No, absolutely. There were so many questions I wanted to ask you today. And I'm going to have to ask you to come back because I feel like this conversation has taken a turn to things that are a little bit more rich on the soul side of things. So let me ask you this. What are some suggestions you would have for people that may feel like you felt a couple of number of years ago where they've been giving and giving and giving, or they've just been, they've been trying to be too many things what would you suggest to somebody that's feeling that way that needs to maybe make a little bit of a pivot? Well, I think the number, one of the main questions we have to answer is, you know, who am I? Mm. Am I trying to be a chameleon and being a certain way with so many people that I forgot who I am? I forgot who I am as a person, why I exist. Am I here? How I'm, here to help people, here to encourage people, here to lead people. And sometimes we get off the path. It's like a car that needs realignment. We've got to get realigned. So we need a checkup. And oftentimes that comes in our, our community of people that we associate with, people who know us. They know the real us, not the facade us. And so you, in order to know who we are, we have to have accountability people who can speak truth into our, into our life, even when it hurts or we don't agree with it. I just think we have to always stay true to who we are. And when we start to deviate from who we are, we get out into no man's land and you start feeling lost because you are lost. And so this is not, the, I'm not preaching a message. I'm just saying as a human being, mm-hmm. you know, of, of, of how we were made, 
to love people. We are made to be in relationship with people. We are made to work with people. So if we get to a situation where we feel like we're better than anyone, higher than someone, well, now we're out of place. We're out of, out of step of how we were created. We were created to interact and engage with people. And, and so I think that sometimes, Eric, forgetting who we are is, you know, you're, you're on a dangerous path. You're trying to get nowhere. You'll get there. We're on a dangerous path. And so I think that for me is that you have to have, who is it? Simon Sinek that says you have to have your, know your true north, discovering mm-hmm. your true north. We've got to know this is who I am. This is what I represent. And all the things that I do outside of that won't deviate too far from those things. Okay. That's just me personally. So I don't know if that answers your question or no, it does. if it leads to another question. I just think that when we get too far out there, you've just seen too many situations of people saying, I've just lost who I am. The way I'm living isn't how I am. That's not me. I just had, I have conversations with student athletes like that all the time. And then I come from a place of transparency saying, dude, I get it. I fight for that too. I fight from people saying, oh, you're Mikado Henson. You're this, this, this. And I'm now I'm not, I'm, I'm fighting to keep an elevated view of my own self. So I've got to continue to walk in humility. I've got to continue to have people in my life say, Mikado, you ain't all that. You know, I have to have people who will keep me grounded lest I go off into some different direction. And people uh, at the end of the day, you know what I say? Who am I? This isn't me. Because what you have, you always have to look at the man in the mirror at the end of the day. And if you've had a mask on all day, pretty soon you got to take that mask off and look at that person in the mirror. And is that person convinced? You know, so mine's pretty simple. Stay true to who you are and keep people close to around you who will help you Mm. in those areas. You don't need to surround yourself with yes men where everything you say and do. Yes, that's great. That's great. Some people I need to whisper and say, no, that ain't great. Mikado, you shouldn't have said that. Mikado, you need to go apologize. You need to make that wrong right. And so there are, because we're meant to go through life and relationship, you have to keep people, certain, certain people around you that will help you stay true to who you really are. If not, our human nature is to gravitate to all the things that, that we like, the things that make us feel good. And sometimes to stay true to who we are, we have to deny ourselves some of those things in life, if that makes sense. It's, it makes total sense to me. Mikado, how, how can people find you and follow you? Like, where, where are you located online or social media or whatever? Yeah, I tell you, I'm, I'm probably most visible on Twitter. Okay. At, at Kato Henson, K-A-D-O. The last part of my name, Henson, H-I-N-S-O-N. Or you can probably just search Mikado Henson and, and find me on Twitter. You know, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, but I'm probably more present on Twitter. Gotcha. And so that would probably be the easiest way to contact me. And I'll just share this quick story. I was, I was blessed to be on a, a platform with a man named Ben Stewart, someone I really highly respect, who led an, a group here called Breakaway. Now he's pastors a church in D.C. called Passion City Church in Washington, D.C. And uh, we had a conversation like we're having, but it was on video and he ended up showing it at his church. Well, someone reached out to me on a, a direct message and said, hey, your message, you're being biracial. Your message is really just resonated with me. I'm biracial and da 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 
And I just responded. And they're like, I can't believe you responded. And I laugh. I laugh because I'm like, uh, who do you think I am? <laughs> I'm just a regular guy, man. Like, I'm, listen, I'm no, I was, I was blessed to be on that platform with Ben, but I'm just a regular guy. And so yeah. uh, I, I do my best from time to time. I don't want to, I won't get in the pig pen and start throwing mud and stuff like that back and forth but I'm always willing to engage in conversation and that's how we grow. And uh, that, that helps keep us out of our own little silos of how we think and how we perceive things to be is when we can have honest and open dialogue. So I'm always, always willing to engage in that. Well, Kyle, thank you for coming on today. This has been an enriching 50 minutes with you. I, I know that I've walked away with some, I've, I've written out a number of things that I want to, what I want to think on and and contemplate regarding my own life and i'm i'm really excited that other people got to hear you and hear your heart because you're such a fantastic human being so thank you for being on today brother it was my honor and um, i hope that our conversation was helpful for someone listening and um, again let's just keep fighting fighting a good fight man i appreciate you eric thanks for joining me today on another episode of the blueprint podcast if you found this episode valuable Sign up for my high-performance newsletter at www.ericcorum.com. And if you want to stay current on everything high-performance, follow me on Instagram at Eric Corum, Twitter at Eric Corum, Facebook, and I'm also on LinkedIn.